The Story in Your Head, Episode 19, The Courage to Have the Conversation, with Dr. Paul Marciano. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today we're joined by special guest Dr. Paul Marciano to talk about why it can be difficult to find the courage to have those difficult conversations. We dive into personal stories and share how those stories are hurting our relationships with others and what happens when you can change those stories. Hi, welcome to the podcast, The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin. And I'm Michelle Masago. And today I'm honored to introduce our very special guest and a good friend of mine, Dr. Paul Marciano. So Paul earned his doctorate in clinical psychology from Yale University and has worked with organizations around the world for more than 30 years. He is president of the human relations consulting firm Whiteboard and a leading authority in employee engagement, respect in the workplace, and managing difficult conversations. Many of you may be familiar with his best-selling book, Carrots and Sticks Don't Work, Build a Culture of Employee Engagement with the Principles of Respect, which has received many accolades, including having been named one of the 100 best human resources book of all times by Book Authority. It is truly a classic in the field. I've read it and highly recommend it. Dr. Paul's latest book, Let's Talk About It, Turning Confrontation into Collaboration at Work, addresses the unconscious biases and mindsets that sabotage our conversations and relationships. It provides readers with the skills and strategies needed to deal with interpersonal conflict and emotionally charged issues in a straightforward, calm, and collaborative way. And rather brilliantly, he has sent a copy to those who need it most, every U.S. state senator. So on a personal note, Dr. Paul lives on his family 100-acre farm in a one-bridge town, which I can confirm, of three bridges, and is the proud grandson of Ludwig Bellemann's author and illustrator of the classic children's book, Madeline. So thank you, Paul, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Michelle and Ron. It's a pleasure to be with you. So from what I've gathered, I've read through some of your books and I've known you for a while. It seems you have a, a huge interest in how people relate to each other and a passion in that field. Why does that matter to you? Well, I mean, life is all about relationships. I think we know from a psychological background that the quality of our life is given by the quality of our relationships. And for me, what really prompted the, the more recent book is I think that a, a lot of the dysfunction in the world is either caused or exacerbated by people's either unwillingness or lack of skill when it comes to dealing with conflict. And I, I can certainly, for myself, look back at, quite frankly, some very close relationships, one in particular, in which I, I chose not to have that difficult conversation. And it led to real fracture in the relationship. And so I've, I've often thought, what if I had either the quote unquote courage or the skills in order to have had that conversation Maybe it would have had the same outcome, but maybe not. And so can I help to create a, a, a program or this, this kind of a book that will give people the skills that would enable them to deal with difficult conversations that would make a difference for themselves and for the people in their lives, professionally and personally? 
Yeah, I certainly find you can't really split out the professional and personal, can you? We we tend to be one person, so I, I at least can't. Yeah, no, no matter where I go, there <laughs> I am. Right. <laughs> Thanks. One of the things I want to pick out of what you just said is, is the word courage. And sometimes we think about the maybe the other side of that, which is fear, which yeah. holds us from doing things. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk about a little bit and courage and fear and what that either brings opportunities or shuts down things. What do yeah. you say about that? Yeah, good question. So I actually, I hate when people talk about the, I shouldn't say hate, that's such a strong word. How about dislike? Or I found it disempowering when people say, boy, if only I had the courage to have these kinds of conversations. Uh, and very uh, visual guy. So on a, a standard presentation slide deck, I have the a picture of the, you know, the lion from the Wizard of Oz. And he's bundled in a parachute jumping out of an airplane, like looking like he's screaming. And so, you know, as human beings, we tend not to engage in behaviors for that we fear, right? That would be silly. When we don't feel competent and confident for, for doing something, we just don't do it. And so again, going back to this idea, gee, I don't really have the courage to have that kind of a conversation. For me, it's there, you're saying that because you don't have the skills. And so when we can teach people those skills, they're much less likely to be fearful because, by the way, they also can have a, a vision of what a positive outcome would look like. So I think that's ho- hopefully gets at your question. So you, you talk about in your book, you know, respect, and it's really it's a, it's a seven different labels of things to do, actions or ways to be. Is there one that stands out as like the most important or the most difficult that people can like, like, oh, I can do all of these, but that one right there, I, that one, I, uh, which one is it that normally shows up that way? So that's the first book you're referring to, which is great. I appreciate mm-hmm. that plug for Carrots and Six Don't Work. And for me, my work over the last 20 years has been around fostering a culture of respect, particularly in the workplace, of course. And my basic hypothesis that respect is what drives employee engagement. So to the extent that an employee experiences respect from the perspective of respecting the organization, respecting the leadership, their manager, respecting their fellow team members, respecting and taking pride in the work that they do, and then feeling respected, the extent of which that's true will lead people to be highly engaged. And I encourage people to think about jobs that they've left, and often they're associated with a loss of respect in one of those areas. As you mentioned, with that in mind, that kind of thesis, using respect as the the tool of engagement, it's an acronym. And so the R is recognizing and acknowledging people for their contributions. So if we'll, if we'll just stop on that one right there, it is, it's just so powerful when we recognize and acknowledge people for the contribution that they are to us. And I'll just share with you a, a really simple story out of my own life, which just happened. And I'm not sharing it just because you or your audience like me. Hopefully that's true, but just to, to give you a small snippet. So I don't know if, if any, either of you or anybody else in the world likes going the Department of Motor Vehicle. I know I don't. It's between that and the dentist. I'm not really sure. But I had the occasion recently to, to purchase a, a new car and it was actually out of state and came here to New Jersey to register it. And it was an absolute freaking nightmare. Like I was there for three hours the first time. And it took three times to get through this process. Okay, and it turned out that the it was an, it was a nightmare. Now, the woman that was helping me was so 
wonderful. She was so professional and like authentically, sincerely wanted to help me and help me understand. And and after the first, and I, I'm pulling my hair out, right? I just literally want to scream. I spent all this money on a car. I just want to get registered, and, you know, and I, you know, I need to blame somebody. And so she says to me after the first session, you know, here's what you need to do, blah, 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 blah. And she says, so I'm going to call you tomorrow. She's going to call me tomorrow. Somebody in the Department of Motor Vehicle is going to call me tomorrow and see how I'm making out. I'm like, are you kidding me? She freaking calls me. And I end up, you know, we end up obviously resolving it. And then I, I wrote her manager and I just said, hey, I just want to let you, I said, I don't, you know, you don't need to hear this from me, but I, I just want to share an amazing experience I've had with this woman and blah, 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 right? So a couple sentences, I don't know, 10 minutes of my life and press a button on an email and I have a letter. So now it's 58 cents. It cost me 58 cents. And, you know, I got this amazing email back from the manager and then I had occasion to go back in to the DMV and, you know, I went over this little, this one was almost like in tears and she goes, you have no idea how much, how meaningful that was to me. I'm so grateful. She said, my husband thought it was so wonderful, blah, 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 blah. We just want to be recognized and acknowledged for the contribution we are to other people. And, you know, if you ask somebody in an organization, hey, have you ever gotten a yellow sticky note that your boss left for you and, and said, you know, hey, great job. What did you do with it? And 99, 999 out of a thousand people will say, I kept it. And usually they like taped it in, the, in their monitor or right bottom of their monitor or hung it up on the wall. Because it was as though at a moment in time, we did something so quote unquote noteworthy that our manager would let us know we did a good job and we want to keep it in our visual field and in the visual field of others. So I apologize. I know I'm rambling, but recognition of people's contribution. It's so easy. It's so simple. It doesn't cost us anything, maybe 58 cents. And it makes such a big difference. Thank you. Well, I have another one. The The next question is like, and I love the, the, like in a way you're creating it before something bad has happened. You're creating a space, you're showing respect, you're acknowledging their accomplishment, you're doing all that. And then there's, there's those situations where somebody goes, yeah, but that person effed me, right? Harmed me. Yeah. They, they hurt me. Yeah. Right. And, and now they have this filter that whenever they see that person or anybody who looks yeah. like that person, yeah. they're going like, I, I don't ever going to, I'm never going to trust that person. Right. Right. So, so what stories do you work with to build that? And I, what I'm holding is to build that skill Yeah. to work with somebody who has, you have a story that they've wronged you. Yeah. So in the, in the new book, you know, there's over a hundred unconscious, unconscious biases and I felt compelled to create a new one. And I term that personal history bias. And I have this visual of, you know, this, this email coming into the presentation and on it says, my nemesis, you know, from my nemesis. And then the subject line is, you know, I want to hit myself over the head. And, you know, the phone rings or the email comes in and the way that we react is based entirely with our, our prior experience of that person. So, you know, and I, he's not going to listen, so it's okay, I can say this. When my twin brother calls, the phone rings, I see his name, and all I think is, what does he want? Because that's just who he is in my life. So the entire, the, the immediate filter, right, the immediate lens that I'm going to put on that conversation is, what does he want? Or, oh, you know, this is this way that this is going to go. So we have this completely preconceived listening of others. And, you know, people kind of get present to that, and we go through a couple exercises and such. 
and then say, so what would it be like if you, if you listened, like authentically listened? And my, by the way, my best tip around that is to just remain, you know, like truly curious about what the other person may have to say. There's a, there, I'm a quotaholic and there's a quote from Einstein and I'm going to blow it, but it's something like, you know, he's saying, you know, it's not that I'm so brilliant. It's just that I am passionately curious. And when we can take that mindset on, you know, and the other person gets it, right? Like when, when somebody's really listening to you, you know that. And it's even more meaningful if you know that you and the other person don't tend to agree. So, and the final thing I'll say on it, no, there's two things I want to say. One is, you know, the idea of taking 100% of the relationship, taking responsibility for that. And we often think about it, it's sort of like a 50-50, but I say, what if, you know, like you staked your life on, I'm going to make this work. And by the way, it doesn't, it's not about the other person. It's not about, you know, we, we have this thing, well, the other person did this or it's not about the other person. It's about who we're being in the moment. And at the end of the day too, and I, I talk about this in, in the book, is you know there are just times in our lives that it's healthier for us to walk away when we're able to do that. It's just, it doesn't make sense for us to remain engaged in that relationship. It's just not healthy for us. And that happens professionally as well. Yeah, thanks. Paul, what you reminded me of is we have we have a concept in Immaculate Collection called creating others. We create ourselves mm -hmm. too, right? And you kind of got to it with being. I totally get that when my brother calls and, and it took me a while to get past this, it's like, he wants money. Not even what does he want. I know what he wants. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I'm even past that piece. And it's like, okay, let's see what, what happened this time. But yeah. one of the things I learned to do, I learned to create him differently. Right. Mm. And it took me a really long time. He's my older brother. Right. Mm. So right mm. there comes with this stigma that always oh, my older brother. So therefore he knows everything and I don't know anything. I don't know where I came up with that, but that was my story for a while. But then a lot of things started happening. He started, I, I created him just totally different. And he started asking me questions like, you want to know what I think? Right. And the whole relationship kind of changed to being more of peers. But I had to start with me first. In creating him and thinking him, thinking about him as a different person than what that history was. So I'm just curious from you, like, what do you think about that? And sort of, how do you create those stories? And the, what do you do with those histories? Because they're going to be there. Well, listen, Michelle, that's just thank you for sharing that. That's definitely at a level above what I've talked about before. Because my my image is, you know, when Lucy holds the football for Charlie Brown, and no, I'm not going to pull it away, and then she pulls it away every time. And we're sort of surprised that those, are, and we all have Lucy's in our lives. And what I've, you know, what I've said is, you know, Lucy's just being Lucy. Like what, how else would you expect Lucy to be? And so what I heard you say, which I just, just fantastic is Lucy's being Lucy in some ways because we're creating her to be that. And what if we created her to be something else? How would, how, how would we then interact and then what would be the impact and how would they then change their behavior? You know, the, the idea of we're not able to change people's behavior is patently false. It's just, it's patently false. I mean, we are influencing or the synonym for that is really manipulating people all the time. So if you had a, you know, just typical, like a, an admin assistant or whatever, a receptionist, and every day you walked in and you normally said, hello, how are you? And then all of a sudden you stop saying that for a matter of a week or 10 days, it would have an impact on that person's thoughts, cognitions, and behavior. 
So I really do love this idea of, and you can create somebody to be whoever you want, right? Like you really can. And then I'll give that person the space to live into that creation, right? It takes giving up, right? It's one of the things, one of the secrets mm-hmm. to life is giving up. And so giving up things like, you know, it can't work. I can't do that. I'm not good enough or giving up this thought that this is the way that this person is going to be. This is the way that this interaction is going to go. So giving that up, I would say it'd be maybe a first step. The words I've been using is surrender. Mm. Like instead of giving up, I surrender. I, su- I surrender to, I don't, I don't know how they're going to go. Yeah. I, I'm, I, and also I surrender to that. I am enough. Cause I really want to make myself wrong and all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. One of the things I, I've, and I'm, I'm going to play a little bit on what you heard said earlier, you know, we can be a hundred percent responsible for the relationship. Yeah. The way I'm working it and I've been working with others is I'm a hundred percent responsible for my end of the relationship. Yeah. And I'm a hundred percent responsible for their end of the relationship. That doesn't mean I get to control anything, but I can be responsible for who I create them to be. And when we're working with clients or students or whoever it is, and they come back and they go, it made a difference. Mm. I go, yeah, now you kind of understand the responsibility of how you affect other people. Yeah. I love it. Oh, by the way, in the book, and I forget where this, I apologize, I keep referring to the book. I have a, I have something in there about how a dog rolls over on his back and exposes his belly. And I say, I wouldn't try this at work, <laughs> but it's the importance of demonstrating a sense of vulnerability. When you say don't roll over, you say don't like, don't roll over on your belly, on your back, on in the your workplace. Belly, but, um, is that metaphorically or is it like? No, no, metaphorically, yes. Just yeah. not physically. Don't throw yourself on the ground and roll over and <laughs> yeah, want somebody right, to pet right. your belly. No, but metaphorically, the idea of, you know, we're often, again, and, and, and focusing on this idea of turning confrontation into collaboration. If we're just in this space of just, you know, knocking heads all the time, and this fear as human beings, I think it's profound fear of being vulnerable because some reason we'll get taken advantage of, especially based on this relationship history that we have with somebody because we don't want to give that up because naturally, of course, as human beings, from an evolutionary perspective, we want to protect ourselves. That's right first and foremost. But what would it be like if we were able to show some level of vulnerability and what that, what that could look like is, Michelle, I have to be honest, I don't know the answer to that and I don't want to pretend like I do. And I'd really appreciate it if you, if you would share with me what you know. It's not rocket science, is it? No. I, I accept. The, to continue the metaphor around rolling on your stomach, I, I use the metaphor about shields. And so many times I've noticed myself or I noticed others or I noticed two other people. And they're in a conversation, but the metaphor is they both got their shields on and they're just kind of beating the tar out of each other with their shields. Mm. And the first person who says, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Could you help? Is like putting down their shield. And what the other person normally does is put down their shield too. Yeah. And then you can actually start to talk about what the problem is and that you can solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, once in a while we, we extend the Elvis branch and the other person snaps it. We don't want to deal with those people. But I think the average person recognizes that. And for me, of course, it all goes back to this idea of respect. So, so much of the conflict is caused by people feeling, I think, you don't respect my views and opinions, don't respect what I've accomplished. 
you don't respect my position, whatever that is. And so simply, you know, expressing, A, this idea, Ron, I think what you're suggesting is, you know, not so committed to making the other person wrong. Because I think oftentimes, unfortunately, that's who we are as human beings. Like if I can make Michelle wrong, then I get to be right. And if we can create this atmosphere of, as you suggest, like putting down the shield and, and even, I, maybe even a little bit better than that is mea culpa, right? Like, and by the way, you know, the two to tango, it's almost always the case that we can take some responsibility for the conflict or the dysfunction that's in a relationship. Even if it's to say this, even if it's to say, I want to apologize that I haven't been listening. Like, I want to apologize that I haven't asked you to have this conversation before, you know, to have it sooner. I want to apologize. I haven't really wanted to look at things from your perspective. And as soon as you do that, right, the defensiveness goes down, the aggressiveness lets up, and then you get to be, you get to have a conversation potentially. Yeah. On that apology, thank you so much for bringing that up. How powerful an apology could be. Like even in just a little space of, I apologize, I haven't been paying attention. And it draws me back to actually a lunch I had with, with a good friend and he apologized. I'm sorry, I haven't been paying attention because something else was going on in their lives, right? And number one, I really respected that he said that, you know, 20 minutes into our conversation that he hasn't heard a word that I said. Great. But then we could have the conversation about what's going on, right? And what was going on. And then I could help him. And that was the best lunch we ever had because it was at a much more deeper, authentic level. So it's pretty simple, right? The apology, yeah, there's probably some pretty big things I can apologize in life, but the little ones matter too. Yeah. I mean, if we're in, if we're in an argument, you know, and, and I just say, Ron, I just, hey, this is on me. I apologize. You got no place to go. You know, you're just like, <laughs> you got no place to go. And by the way, it takes two to tango. It takes two to argue. Like, you can't make me get in an argument. It takes about the 100% responsibility. It goes back to that, you said. I also noticed that when I clean up or apologize or not listening or whatever that is, I become free. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have that story inside my head that I'm, oh my God, I'm not paying attention. He's going to figure it out. And oh my God, and that's going to happen here. And well, all I'm doing is keeping myself distracted instead of trusting myself and being 100% in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, one is, and, and Ron, I think you would agree with this in prior conversation we had, but the greatest fear we have as human beings is the fear of looking bad. And so that keeps us, that constrains us oftentimes from sharing what we want to share. Now, there are times that if you ask yourself the question, should I say this? The answer is a lot of times no. But if it's because you're really holding something back out of a fear of looking bad in some way, I think sharing that is really freeing. And what somebody has to say, but they're afraid to say it because of that, mm -hmm. may, may be the most valuable thing of the day or the week or the month. And and yet somebody now walked away and didn't even say it. We didn't we didn't get to hear it. And it's behooving on us, right, to create the kind of environment if we focus on, of course, in the workplace that allows people. You know, we talk about psychological safety, and people throw that term around. Like it really matters, right? Because most people, most employees do not feel as though they can give their manager direct feedback. I, I accept direct feedback. I also share ideas, like create new stuff, new inventions, new spaces, new, all that stuff. Cause they're going like, no, last time I did that, I, I remember what happened. Right. 
I'll sit here real quiet. It's safe. That's right. I'll do what my boss tells me to do because then I can't get in trouble. Yeah. So how do you help people sort of get past that, right? Because when when you're quiet, and I've certainly have done this in parts of my career, I took myself out of the game. I'll put it that way, right? Yeah. Because I sat there and then nothing would annoy me more when after about 20 minutes, somebody else said the same thing I was thinking. And everybody's like, yay, look at that idea. I'm like, damn it, that was mine. <laughs> but I didn't say anything, so it wasn't. So what can, what can you do? Any advice or things, practices, skills to help people get past that? Well, you brought it up, so I'm going to turn it back on you. Because you said you've seen, your, you've seen yourself in that situation. So what did you, what did you do? What, did, what got you back in the game? One of them is I just got annoyed enough that all these great ideas, right? Like, you know? And then I think the biggest one for me was when a manager told me he believed in me. Mm. Right? He came in and said, mm-hmm. it's okay. You belong here. Mm-hmm. Speak up. We want to hear your ideas. And at first, I was really caught off guard because I didn't think it was that obvious right? That I was sitting there quietly in the corner, but it really is because I got to learn to see it in others. But he gave me space, right? And then you talk about that safe environment. So like you tested a little bit with a little idea and it's like, okay, that went over. Then you get a little bigger idea. Okay, that worked too. And then eventually you engage. So that's what it did. That was a key moment for me. And through my lens, in one case you felt disrespected and the other case you felt respected and you engaged. That's how this works. Look, if I if I'm gonna yeah. if I've got the kind of boss that just doesn't listen, shoots down my ideas, why would I want to make a, a contribution? Why would I want to waste my energy in that? Because it ends up making me look bad. And although I don't think people c- can make you feel any way, I, that's a whole other conversation. When we get rejected in that way, when we get disrespected in that way, it it doesn't feel good. And it makes us feel and look look poorly, potentially in the eyes of our colleagues as well. Yeah, thanks. So one thing you talk about a lot is the word respect. I'm just curious, how do you how do you define that for people? Right, because it can mean I can make up a lot of stories. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think respect is one of the first abstract concepts we learn. So if I were to ask you sort of when did you learn about respect, it probably at a fairly young age. And then you think about, well, what did you learn about respect? So it could be about respecting your elders, right? It could be about respecting, you know, your teacher or the American flag or your stuff or other people's stuff, right? Other kids' stuff. And this idea of respect is fairly ingrained to us at at an early age. In fact, I, I happen to just give a a series of workshops at a Catholic university. And one of the things I did was I put up, you know, the 10 commandments and how many of these things have to do with respect. And of course the answer is all of them. So it's, I'll just share, I apologize. And kind of, you were talking about intrusive thoughts, Ron, my, my whole thing around that is when I get one, I share it just because otherwise it's muddling my head. So I was asked a number of years ago, because Michelle, you brought up the, the book by my grandfather, Madeline, which hopefully some of your listeners are familiar with. And a friend asked me to read it to her first grade class. And when I got done, this boy you know, raised his hand and said, are you a teacher? And I said, no. And then I corrected myself. I said, actually, I am. I teach adults about respect. And then he, he looks at me, right, the innocence of you know, like a five-year-old and says, well, why do they forget? And it's like out of the mouths of babes. You know, like we do tend to forget. 
And I think we do come pretty wrapped up in ourselves and what matters to us more than what matters to other people. I have a, a friend I was talking about the other day who had said to me that he was in this relationship and you know, it, it sort of didn't end well, but he had closure. And I just asked him, I said, I just wondered, did she have closure? Not that there's anything to be done about it necessarily, but it's a question worth asking, right? And that goes back to this whole idea of empathy. And I, I, you know, there's sympathy, right? Feeling badly for others. And then this idea of empathy, which for me is absolutely on the list of, you know, traits and characteristics that make you a successful human being, no matter how you want to define successful, empathy really matters. And I, I distinguish between what I call empathy one and empathy two. So, you know, we think of empathy as putting ourselves in other people's shoes. So as an example, to distinguish these two, I was sharing a story with a friend and, you know, happened and she goes, oh, you must have been really pissed. And I said, actually, I, I wasn't. I was really sad. And she goes, well, you should have been pissed. So she was trying in some ways to be empathetic, but that's empathy one. Empathy two is she really would have understood what it was like for me to be in my shoes, not for her to be in my shoes. And we can get people at that kind of a level, man, it makes all the difference when it comes to relationships and and resolving or dissolving the kind of conflict we find ourselves in. I don't think I answered your question at all. I don't even know what the question was, Michelle. But <laughs> I don't either. But it was a great conversation. You could be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do see we're running probably uh, about to the end of our time here. I have a speculation. You may be maybe on again some great topics that we might have to continue in the future. Yes. But one thing I wanted to leave you just a little space. Is there anything else for today that you'd like to leave our listeners with? You think I would be prepared for this, having done a couple of these uh, kinds of interviews in the past? I, you know, I think that the idea of forgiveness, of not being judgmental of others, and it's something I have to re remind myself of at times as well. You know, as an example, I was, I gave a talk one time, and the woman in the front row was yawning and a hard time staying awake. And of course, I know as you've presented, it, you can't help but be a little annoyed, right, by that. And she came up to me at the first break and she said, you know, Dr. Paul, I want to apologize. I know that I'm having a hard time staying awake. My husband is a paranoid schizophrenic and I was up all night with him with his delusions. And that story coupled with the next one I'll tell is I was at a, a workshop given by a monk. And at the end of it, he, he looked at every person in the room. He says, here's what I know about every one of you. You're getting through the world the best way that you know how. And I just believe that's fundamentally true. At least I want to believe that's true. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, we got to give each other a break, you know, especially in the workplace. We all have heavy stuff going on, my God, especially during this terrible time of COVID. And to really just, right, like give one another a break. And so I think that that for me is kind of my, my parting message. Thank you so much. Powerful statements. Very powerful. And Paul, thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the work that you all do in the world and make a difference. Well, it's going to take all of us. So thank you. <laughs> yes, I, I concur. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time. Bye.